This episode of Irish Mythology Podcast is sponsored by McCaffrey Crafts, specialising in authentic walking sticks and shillelaghs handcrafted in County Kerry from Blackthorn that grows out of Irish soil. Find them online at McCaffreyCrafts.com. That's M-C-C-A-F-F-R-E-Y-C-R-A-F-T-S dot com. Welcome back to the Irish Mythology Podcast after a bit of a hiatus, but we are ready to bring you a whole new series of tales of the mythical gods, goddesses, saints and scholars and otherworldly creatures of Irish mythology. I'm Stephanie Hearney. This episode is a bit different. Last year and the year before we produced episodes on St. Patrick and if you want to go and listen to them, they're still available on the usual podcast platforms I actually tweeted both of them out the last couple of days, so if you go to our Twitter, they're there, handy enough for you. Anyway, today we're talking about St. Sheila. I'm Marcus Oishkin. So, connected to St. Patrick, St. Sheila is often said to have been the patron saint's wife, whose day is celebrated the day after St. Patrick's Day, on March 18th. Sheila's Day is no longer widely celebrated in Ireland, but there is still associated festivities celebrated throughout the Irish diaspora in Australia and Canada. And in Newfoundland, there's another Sheila celebrated and we'll talk a little bit about that later. According to some Irish folklore, Sheila was either the wife or mother of St. Patrick and the holiday served to commemorate her life. Whether or not St. Patrick had a wife is unclear, but There are references to this in the 18th and 19th century in antiquities journals, but that should not necessarily be considered as evidence. There's no mention of Sheila in St. Patrick's uh, confession, which we talked about in both our episodes on St. Patrick. Now, some researchers have suggested a connection between the holiday and the Sheila Nagig found in medieval architecture throughout Europe. However, this is largely speculation. Elsewhere, it has been suggested that the Sheila character was another pagan goddess tied to the Christian figure in order to make conversion from paganism more palatable for would-be Christians. Now, it's in Newfoundland in Canada, um, Talu Nehaisk, the the most Irish place outside of Ireland, apparently, that um, another echo of Sheila is still manifest. In Newfoundland, there's a legend believed by many to be true in the same way that people interpret the Book of Invasions sometimes as history rather than pseudo-history, and that there was a young Irish princess from Connacht who was called Sheila Nagera. It was believed that sometime in the 1600s she was en route to a convent in France to finish her education under the care of her aunt, who was an abbess. And when she was on her way, pirates commandeered the ship. One of the pirates, Gilbert Pike, who hailed from a well-to-do English family, of course, was said to have fallen in love with her and they were wed on the journey. Um, after that, the young lovers settled down in a place called Mosquito in the southwest corner of Newfoundland. And it was said that she lived to be 105 years old and gave birth to the first um, European child on the island. And now the last big snowstorm there following St. Patrick's Day is called Sheila's Brush. It would be very interesting to know what the indigenous term for that weather event was called prior to this colonial event. But anyway, it was said that in the past, fleets hunting seals would refuse to go back out until the storm passed. And that opinion still carries to this day. So who was St. Sheila? And why is it that people believe she was married to St. Patrick? Now, according to the academic Dimna Lonergan, 
whose research we have borrowed very heavily from today. There is no Saint Sheila. And she quotes from Adirmado Muraha, who says the name Sheila derives from Cecily, the English form of the Latin name of the virgin martyr Saint Cecilia. The Anglo-Normans brought the name to Ireland and in time it became an there there became an Irish version of the name Sheila which is spelled S I father L E but we also know that in Australian English the word Sheila is used often quite generically uh, for a girl and this has sometimes been used as a pejorative term in the past The earliest reference to Sheila's day um, comes from the 1806 book a Stranger in Ireland by John Carr, who was a travel, a travel writing Englishman. And he wrote, Some of their customs are singular and characteristic. On the anniversary of St. Patrick, the country people assemble in their nearest towns or villages, get very tipsy, but not bled by surgeons, as some author has asserted, and walk through the streets. Uh, they continue drunk for the greater part of the next day, uh, vis-a-vis the 18th of March, and all in honour of Sheila, St. Patrick's wife. Now, he doesn't say much about what happens in general on the 18th of March, but he does describe St. Patrick's Day as including people being drunk and wearing the shamrock and walking through the streets. Um, But he doesn't present any evidence uh, for any connection to St. Sheila uh, as being St. Patrick's wife. In fact... Wherever St. Sheila is written about, there is very little evidence other than anecdotal to connect her to St. Patrick. However, in Matthew Archdeacon's 1839 Legends of Connacht, he assures the reader almost every tale is founded in fact. Uh, This gentleman was a Castlebar schoolmaster and he prefaces one tale with the statement, A group of 13th dragoons stationed even in Castlebar at the close of the last century exhibited a piece of insulting mockery as offensive as it was ill-chosen, stating, Two of them representing Patrick and Sheila were escorted through the town by some of their comrades. The male was tricked out with cobine, brogues and trahine and tied with straw ropes in derision of the saint. The female was mantled in a barrack blanket and the worthy pair were preceded by a third dragoon provided with a mop and bucket of impure water, which he scattered indiscriminately on all he met, male or female. And he then goes on to make the point that the dragoons behaving in such an insulting manner were nevertheless allowed to pass unmolested. Now this tells us that what was happening was not a usual practice. He mentions the people drinking, but he does not mention a parade or procession other than that carried out by the dragoons. And the main gist of this legend is not so much what they did during the procession as the outbreak of street fighting that occurred in the evening between the dragoons and the local populace. And the event is said to have taken place towards the close of the last century and probably dates, in fact, to the early 1780s. Those dragoons were probably just trying to, you know, celebrate their own their culture. <laughs> by, by marching through someone else's town. No, anyway... <laughs> But the, the name is, or the day is named as St. Patrick's Day, but there's no reference to the next day being called Sheila's Day in this. The writer doesn't elaborate on who Sheila is, but the implication is that she is a consort of Patrick. The idea is clearly meant as an insult, and it may be the case that the character Sheila, uh, thought to be St. Patrick's wife or mother, was popular in the British Army as a way of insulting Irish Catholic beliefs. 
The practice of lampooning characters in a public display also has a long history, and that might have influenced the legend of Sheila's Day. In The Wearing of the Green, A History of St. Patrick's Day, the authors discuss instances of role reversal in Carnival, uh, such as in pre-industrial Britain and Europe, where, for instance, mock effigies of political leaders were carried in procession and the village idiot was crowned king for a day. In Ireland, the pattern, the feast day of a local saint that involved a procession to the saint's site, was usually followed by some form of celebration. In a letter to the editor of Dublin's Evening Herald in 1967, we might get some insight into Sheila's day. Now, this letter says, Sir, it's a bit longer than your Irish Times one sentence special, but anyway, <laughs> Sir, are our patterns and old customs dying out in Ireland? The feast of... Now, I'm going to say Saint-Denis, but I mean, I'm sure he meant Saint-Denis, is still observed annually in Clarehead Parish on September 25th. The widely known pattern of Saint-Denis was celebrated by people who came from far and near in the old days. It takes place on the Sunday preceding the Feast of St. Michael, patron saint of the Church of Clarehead. It concludes the following day, known to locals as Sheila's Monday. Formerly, Sheila's Monday was celebrated with a, a procession headed by the village mayor dressed in ridiculous state garments of rags and straw and riding an ass. So we have a religious feast, the pattern that usually lasted a few days, the end of which turns into something irreligious. So this account puts Sheila's Day as Monday 24th of September if the writer is calculating this in 1967. We can presume that Saint-Denis, the patron saint of France, is Saint-Denis, although his official day is the 9th of October. But it is also likely that this Saint-Denis was originally Dionysius, the Greek god of wine and extravagant celebration. And Sheila's Monday in Ireland may have been a day that followed any religious pattern. The term Sheila may have been the name given to a symbol rather than a person. So the celebrations that are recorded in which this Sheila character is centred are largely focused on drinking and celebrating. But there are some recorded mentions of religious aspects to it. Now, after John Carr's book in 1806, the next mention of this day is in 1807 in reference to celebrations organised by the friendly sons of St. Patrick in Philadelphia. And this reference says... The 1807 dinner was held in the Mansion House Hotel where everyone partook of an excellent dinner prepared by Mr. Renshaw and served up in an excellent style, benevolent and patriotic toasts interspersed with wit, sentiment and song kept them together until they hailed the morning of Sheila's day. So it appears from that particular event that there weren't many cultural activities associated with it other than drinking and being on the sesh, <laughs> essentially. Then in 1819, a history of the island of Newfoundland tells us both Protestants and Catholics generally unite in complement to each other in observing the days of their respective saints, namely St. George and St. Patrick. But the devotion by which the latter is honoured by the sons of Aaron is, greater of, is the greater of the two. It is hardly in the power of any priest in the world to hinder an Irishman from getting gloriously drunk if he is so inclined on the whole of the 17th of March as well as the next day in honour of St. Sheila, St. Patrick's wife. This festival is always looked for in Newfoundland with some apprehension and requires the most attentive exertions of the magistrates to prevent the recurrence of those disturbances. 
frequently accompanied by bloodshed, of which it was the occasion not many years ago. So this extract is from chapter 16 of the character and habits of the Aborigines and other inhabitants of the island of Newfoundland. And there's no description of how Protestants celebrated St. George's Day. The next mention we get of Sheila's Day is in 1832. The Sydney Gazette and the New South Wales Advertiser, uh, where a police report records, Martha pleaded Sheila's Day in extenuation and was ordered to go and sin no more just as being drunk because it was St. Patrick's Day could be offered as a valid excuse. So it appears Sheila Day, Sheila's Day even could serve the same purpose. In 1835, there is a quote saying, uh, upwards of 100 gentlemen, amongst whom were most of the principal persons in the colony, celebrated St. Patrick's Day in Sydney at a dinner that went on into the morning till the early hour of the day appropriated to Sheila. William Hone's 1837 book, popular amusements in Ireland, mentions Sheila's Day, the day after St. Patrick's Day. Hone cites a correspondent who suggested that the idea of St. Patrick having a wife arose out of a burlesque or ironical remark by females of the poorer classes in Ireland, or in retaliation by Irish females the day after St. Patrick's Day for their husband's excesses the day before. Hone then suggests that the word Sheila is a term for a slovenly, often elderly Irish woman. So it appears that Sheila's Day became quite a big deal in the 1800s in Australia. Between 1806 and 1853, Sheila's Day is mentioned in books and newspapers as an extension of the St. Patrick's Day celebrations. In 1837, in the Sydney Gazette, Sheila's Day appears to be an accepted day of celebration on the same level as any other celebratory day. With, the, with a quote in one paper stating, it is somewhat extraordinary that upon St. Patrick and Sheila's Day, Good Friday, etc., there were less cause, cases of drunkenness upon the police office list than upon any day for a month preceding. It was usually the custom for at least double the number to appear. In 1839, the Sydney district of Campbelltown saw a peaceful Sheila's Day, honoured with a cricket match, and not one case of drunkenness was seen. By 1844, Sheila's Day in Parramatta was notable only by only a few of the fair sex in a state of inebriety. Um, the next year, both St. Patrick's Day and Sheila's Day passed off equally uh, creditable to the town. From the 1830s onwards, there is a lot of reference to Sheila's Day and how Hibernia's daughters revived the patriotic spirits of the previous day. While some may hear the above and view this as being evidence of the day after Patrick's Day having developed into a day for the ladies, um, the general tenor of the article suggests that where Sheila's Day is mentioned, it's usually as an extension to St. Patrick's Day or as an extra day in a sporting weekend, such as the 1870 Sydney Rowan Club Regatta that was planned to run over St. Patrick's Day and Sheila's Day but had to be cancelled because of adverse weather. Sheila's Day makes its final appearance in the Australian press in 1936, when it was mentioned in a memory piece, Inns and Taverns of the North, regarding how two rival pubs vied to outdo one another with entertainment for Sheila's Day. So Sheila's Day is essentially a rollover. Yeah, pretty basically. much. Yeah. Um, now, as we mentioned earlier, there are some who draw the connection between St. Sheila's Day and the Sheila Nagig 
uh, grotesque carvings dating from medieval times of naked females displaying their vulvas uh, that may be representations or symbols of fertility. Now, the term grotesque is used. I think they're quite they're quite beautiful. I have a hand poke tattoo of one that I did myself yes, on my it's, leg. It's very good. Thanks very much. That was one of those things that I started and took three and a half hours to do. And I'd, I'd started it and I got 40 minutes in and went, oh God, I'm wrecked. This is this is a terrible idea. But, you know, once you start one of those things, you kind of have to go on. But anyway, Dimple Lonergan mentions in her research that one study aligns these carvings with the medieval croissant. Um, that's like a jester or a satirist and suggests that as the word Sheila is not found in either Old or Middle Irish, it must have come about when the cult of fertility had declined in Ireland and it therefore follows that there must have been another name for these before Sheila. Now, there is something interesting about the timing of this day because in Scotland, there is a celebration, in some parts of Scotland that is, of La Nacalioch, the day of the hag, around the 25th of March. And I've seen it suggested that this, this day and St. Patrick's Day were sometimes interchangeable in that part of the world. And that was largely to do with weather lore. The Kalyach, um, which is a figure in, in Irish folklore and mythology, is, uh, or is represented as a sort of a witch or an older lady or a crone. And uh, she's said to roam the land with her, her wand, hoping to maintain her wintry grip by using it to blast the vegetation. Both the Kalyach and Sheila have associations with the storms and harsh wintry weather that happened around this time. Uh, and they're seen as winter's sort of last grasp. They both have days dedicated to them around this time, which happens to coincide with the equinox. And it also happens that the tomb of Loch Crewe on the hills of Slievnachalioch has um, an, an equinox alignment too. So we don't know if Patrick had a wife um, to, to <laughs> summarise the episode. Um, and if he did, we doubt that she was called Sheila. So apologies to those who were hoping for a definitive answer as to who Sheila was and whether she was married to Patrick. It might have been the case that he had a wife because, you know, the clergy were allowed to marry back then. But unfortunately, there's no evidence to support that. And there's definitely no evidence for um, her being called Sheila. Definitely not. Uh, before we go, I just want to say a big thank you to Teresa O'Keefe, who works is uh who works down in the department of sociology in ucc who gave me a lot of pointers when i was looking at um sheila's brush and the the weather issues in newfoundland um and also just to mention again that we did lean quite heavily on dimna lonergan's research when we were putting together the the notes for today's episode so there was no evidence that patrick had a wife but that's no reason not to have a bit of a celebration anyway. So happy belated St. Patrick's Day and happy St. Sheila's Day to you and yours, wherever you are in the world. We hope you have a really, really good one, whatever you're doing. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five star rating wherever you're listening to your podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at Irish Mythology P on Twitter, on Instagram at Irish Mythology and on Facebook at Irish Mythology Podcast. We'll be back again soon with another episode of Irish Mythology Podcast. And listen, 
If you want to head out on the session and have a rollover into the next day, you can always say you're just honouring Saint Sheila. Sloan. Sloan live. You have been listening to the Irish Mythology Podcast. Written, presented and produced by Marcus O'Hishkeen and Stephanie Hearney. Theme music by Damiano Balgano, Celtic Warrior, on an attribution license.